following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking with us, checking in with us on one of your favorite podcast apps as well. Always a pleasure to have you join us and talk about sports. We got pretty interesting show today for once we're going to be encapsulating the three major north american sports and a little bit extra as well too it is dj joined as always by my co-host kelsey and kelsey we're going to dabble into those three major sports a little bit of ranting a little bit of ranking and maybe a little recap as well so we're once again dipping back into the roots as again yeah you know we're hitting all three yet again i mean how many i feel like there's been so many weeks we've had in the last year where maybe we only hit one maybe we only hit two but but back-to-back weeks or well yeah, even I mean, I'll even say last week was Zach. We even hit it. So three weeks in a row now, we've hit rankings, recaps, and rants. I mean, this is pretty good for us. We're, we're, we're getting getting back to the old school, I guess, is, is where we're going here. For better and for worse, might be a little bit dangerous as well. But we got some work being done in the NBA Finals. Fifty percent of it is set up is now well with the other side well on the way. We are going to take a look back into a little bit of history and something's on both of our minds that we're going to be touching it on a little bit later on in crunch time. You definitely don't want to miss that. There might be some fashion tips in there for those of you who are into that kind of thing as well. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that as well as some inappropriate flexing. So we'll, we'll, that's a lot, something to look forward to in crunch time. But before we get there, we got to take things from the beginning first. And that's going to lead us right into the tip off and the tip off, of course, brought to you by SeatGeek. Use code belly of sports for $20 off your first order as well. So once again, belly of sports, $20 off your first order at SeatGeek. Go and get yourself some quality tickets to whatever your favorite event might be. And we'd be remiss not to talk about, the NBA playoffs, and we'll go and start with what is settled as the Western Conference Finals came to a bit of a screeching halt the other day as the Nuggets completed the sweep over the Los Angeles Lakers, winning 4 to nothing. And my one takeaway from that one before I pass it over to you is there's, only, there's no such thing as a competitive sweep because it's a sweep. But at the same time, this and the 2019 Warriors and Trailblazers feel like two of the more competitive sweeps I've ever seen where – Every game was close. Like in 2019, the Blazers led by double digits in the second half in all four games, but lost. In this one, the Lakers were never that far out of it. They just lost. Like in game one, they were getting clapped, and then next thing you know, they weren't. Games two, three, and four, they had a reasonable shot to win, and then they didn't. So obviously no such thing as a competitive sweep, but not your traditional, well, get them right on out of here. We're done with them real quickly. Like that was, it took it took a little bit out of them, and the Nuggets are definitely thankful to get a little bit of extra rest before the finals. Yeah, I mean, look, game three was the only one that was decided by double digits. Every other game uh, looks like six points or less um, between the between the other three games. But yeah, it, I mean, look, I think we can all we we can all agree that it's kind of disappointing to see this highly touted Anthony Anthony Davis LeBron James duo swept <laughs> by mm. by Nikola Jokic, a guy who we joke about a lot that doesn't jump over a phone book. But again, don't forget. Former MVP, two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic, uh, hmm. on, on your on your on your uh, books there. So look, he he's a stud. It's no doubt about it. But Jamal Murray got it. You got to say all credit to the man. Fantastic series. I mean, Kentavious Caldwell Pope. Where did he come from in the last two games? Like, what what is this? Bruce Brown showing up at times. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. showing up. Like, pretty much everybody who had to kick in in this series actually kicked in at some point in time. And at least for the Nuggets, for the Lakers, on the other hand, it was really Anthony Davis and LeBron and then not a whole lot of extra help there. I mean, I guess Austin Reeves uh, knocked down every three-pointer, but they just never went to him enough for it to matter because they were trying to answer Jokic on the other side because nobody, I mean, nobody was able to stop that man. Except for, well, I guess game three uh, in, you know, most of the the game until, until the fourth quarter. Which is absolutely crazy as well, too. I mean, the, at the end of the game, I was like, oh, Rui put him in clamps for that late in the fourth quarter. They found something. He averages a triple-double for the series as well. Like, he, for back-to-back series, he's averaged a triple-double, and I think his overall playoff numbers are about averaging a triple-double a as well, too. So he's been on an absolute tear. Kind of showing that maybe those MVPs were bad luck for him. Now, they, he, the year he doesn't win an MVP, they make the finals. So maybe a blessing in disguise not letting him get that three-peat as well. So. Something to keep an eye out for. And I do want to mention, you mentioned Jamal Murray as well, too. Talk about uh, arriving back on the scene with a vengeance as well, too. We haven't seen him really in a couple of years coming off that torn ACL plus the at towards the end of a couple of years ago, missing all of last year. 
missing a couple of playoff runs. It was, will he be the same took this year to kind of get right? We saw flashes against the Grizzlies. We saw him very good against the Suns, but my goodness, what he did in this series, especially at the end of game two and the start of game three, 30 points in the first half, even game four, the timely baskets. I think that's the biggest thing. When they needed a basket most, when they needed someone to go one-on-one when Jokic was not able to get loose on the block, he somehow always found an open spot. Step back mid-range, step back three. Playmaking shot creator from NBA 2K20. Absolute BS that enrages everybody. But he made it happen. And that 20-point fourth quarter as well, too, something that, honestly, I feel like at that point, that's when the series was not over. But it was like, all right, the Lakers are going to need some Herculean efforts that, frankly, 38-year-old LeBron's probably not capable of doing, let alone for more than a half. Anthony Davis... We'll see. Basically, you needed 40 points from both. I mean, you weren't going to get that in 2023. Yeah, no. I mean, look, Jamal Murray, uh, yeah. I mean, what's there to say? I, I I put him in my top five best performers so far in the playoffs, and maybe I was predicting something. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was precognition. Because, obviously, I, I said it even during it. I was like, I didn't think his stats were the reason I'm putting here. I'm putting him here for his timely baskets, his, his game management skills, and just the ability to read the game, which has been extremely helpful for the Nuggets this entire playoff run. And, even two years ago when he had his great bubble run, or I guess it's three years now. I don't even remember mm-hmm. anymore. But it's, you know, even that was like, yeah, great. He had great scoring output. But it was the small things in that in, in that in that run that really led him on that that really breakout, it felt like, bubble, bubble series. And then, obviously, not, you know, falling short. But the biggest difference here, obviously, you had Jokic performing on, uh, at the top of his game, and whereas you had Dwight Howard shutting him down in the bubble. So there was nobody to shut down shut down Jokic in this in this series and Jamal Murray saw that everybody on the on the Nuggets saw it and it was almost like it was the old school way of basketball that it, it's like what happened with the Lakers and Pau Gasol when Kobe was down with the Achilles injury they learned to play through Pau Gasol and it's like it's it's very similar the Nuggets learned to play through Jokic and just like I mean obviously it shouldn't be hard to play through Jokic you should know how to play through a big man pass it inside watch him do his thing, and then pass it out to you for a wide-open three. That seems simple, right? But in today's day and age, everybody wants to jack up the threes. Everybody wants to have that highlight reel, you know, break down and, you know, break somebody's ankles on the outside and get to the basket for a little bit of jelly going, into the, you know, for a layup. But, like, that's that's not how you win games. And it's, it feels like this Nuggets team, compared to even the last two two playoff runs, this Nuggets team was complete. It, 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 I mean, I won't say it was, but is complete enough to realize, like, all right, our offense goes through Jokic. Jokic touches the ball every single series down the court, whether it's to touch and pass. It doesn't matter because it's the moment you touch, you give him the ball. It's amazing to watch how a defense reacts because it is five eyes on Jokic and somebody's slipping open. I mean, for goodness sake, Bruce Brown, one of the slipperiest players when he was with the Nets. Now you give him Jokic in the middle of the court to just take the ball crashes down to Jokic. Everybody crashes on Jokic, and there's little Bruce Brown sitting. Wide open for everything in the world. Uh, best little big man in the world, by the way, if, uh, mm. still, even to this day. So, uh, no, yeah, this this Nuggets team, there's something about them. Um, you know, don't listen to Nuggets fans. They're not quiet mm. about how much they think everybody hates them. Uh, they don't. I Nobody out there really hates the Nuggets because there's not been a lot to hate about the Nuggets for years. Uh, I, I think the only fans. team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about the, that's about the only thing that anybody hates about the Nuggets is their fans. Uh, but yeah, no, like it, this team is 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 the the top dog, and and there's a reason why, and it's his name is Nikola Jokic. So uh, get used to it because right now it runs through him, and it's gonna keep running through him until he gets slowed down. And and honestly, I don't know. It's it's tough to slow down a guy that doesn't have doesn't rely on athleticism to be the best best player in the game. Especially when you can make the case he's if not the, he's probably the second best passer in the game on top of as well too. With all things considered, next to LeBron, who I still think is probably the best at passing the ball in the game, Nikola Jokic is right Paul. there. And maybe Chris Paul throws the alley oop the best, but either way, you yeah. look at the company he's in, regardless of point guard and a virtual point guard. I'd also, I'd also as much hate as he gets, and he's also been injured, so we haven't really seen him on court. I'd still Lonzo in the passing category too, but. Either way, it's pretty elite company when you when you look at it as well. So you're comparing to a couple of all-time passers in there as well, too. And one of the guys who last we saw was averaging a good amount of assists, too. So either way, as a yeah, big man. Literally averaging double-digit double assists every game. A guy who's, who's the, a th- close to 280-something in that area as well, too. Plays center, can't jump over a phone book, and he's throwing dime bounce passes and skip it, passes out of a double team. Like, doesn't get much better than that while get, tripping in those 12 rebounds and 
was it 20 rebounds in game one as well against an Anthony Davis in the paint who, while he wasn't really guarded by Anthony Davis a whole lot, it was still a free safety Anthony Davis and he was still cooking through it. It was an absolutely sensational performance and him and Jamal Murray feels like what a 2023 John Stockton, Carl Malone is, if that makes sense. A two man game, a big and a small and how they operate through each other. It's obviously different. If John different Stockton can shoot, can shoot as well as Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray doesn't still doesn't shoot that great. Exactly. Like they're not the, they're not, it's not identical. We're also talking about a 20 year gap since they played. It's like an updated version of a two man game featuring a big. And a yeah, little. it really is. I know we taught everyone talks about Harden and Embiid, but that's really a little bit different. Cause they don't both play their best off of each other. You can really, you can yeah. still see a Harden does not play his best off of Embiid and Embiid. Honestly, they kind of turn him into too much Carmel and he needs to get that big seven foot one self down on the block instead of off these pick and rolls and trying to to guard it. But that's another, that's another complaint. We're talking about the nuggets here. I think the way they can both play on and off the ball is just absolutely incredible. And whoever comes out of the East is going to have their hands full, which leads us to the East is what looked like we were going to have back-to-back sweeps. It's never happened before. And it's not going to happen this year as the Celtics stave off elimination in game four, hold on for one, at least one more game with a fantastic performance by Jason Tatum and a human night for the heat, not shooting over 45% for three. It finally as well too. So do you think the Celtics have a chance or is this kind of just delaying the inevitable, but just making it a little bit harder for the Heat? Yeah, I, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. okay. So it was a pedestrian performance by most of the Heat. Um, ex- I guess you could even say Jimmy Butler even had a pedestrian performance, giving you 29 and 9. Um, so it's still, uh, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough because like, you still have to figure out a way to stop that guy. Can you stop Jimmy? And, and I think the big thing they did in, in game four, the, the Celtics, was really limit Bam's, uh, you know, offensive impact. And I don't mean that in a way like he's scoring a lot of points because he really hasn't been scoring a lot of, a lot of points this series. He's been getting up in, you know, high teens for the most, like out for an average, but, you know, holding him to 10.5 rebounds, no timely buckets, none of those timely alley-oops or anything like that. Like it was in game three where, you know, that washout started happening. It was Bam, you know, with a block and Bam with a alley-oop dunk from Duncan Robinson, was, you know, stuff like that. And speaking of, Duncan Robinson absolutely shut him down. Two points in the night. Only only played 11 minutes. So, you know, when you're able to limit that and limit that impact, Caleb Martin not getting the 20 points he's been getting in the last two games. Max Struess under, in single digits. Uh, Gabe Vincent, though, still playing fantastic. So I don't know if the Celtics can still do it because it took it really did take a heck of a performance. Uh, you're talking about seven guys from the, from the Celtics in double-digit scoring. Uh, throw Robert Williams in there, and and you know eight guys that gave you ninety nine or out of your one hundred sixteen points, they gave you one hundred and fourteen points. Those 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 guys. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can rely on that every single night, especially when you look at Grant Williams scoring double digits, Derek White getting double digits. Derek White hasn't really done anything this series, uh, to say the least. Really, he's been a hole on defense, really a hole on offense as well. Um, Grant Williams, well, we all know what he did to Jimmy. Uh, you, you, you woke in the beast for two games and I, I'm sorry you had to deal with that, uh, mm. you know, but it was your own fault. And then my biggest question for the Celtics and the only way that they're going to pull this out is where's Jalen Brown? Where's that Kobe mentality, Batman wearing, uh, Batman mask wearing Jalen Brown? Where's that Jalen Brown at? Because right now I'm watching Jalen Brown play like James Harden. And I mean that in every offense, every single offense, because it is ugly. What he's doing right now is not what he is known for. 17 points that's his highest uh, point total in the last three in, in this series if i'm not mistaken maybe he had a 19 point game doesn't matter still under 20 points you're supposed to have batman and robin or superman and batman however you want to call them on your team and they're not giving you that 20 plus a night you can't have that if you're Celtics. you are built for jason tatum to go for 30 for jalen to give you 20 and to also give you eight seven or eight assists jalen hasn't been holding up his end of the bargain until really game four and even then he still didn't give you the 20 and so I don't, I don't know what you're going to do there. Marcus Smart finally had a decent game um, defensively, but we're still talking about Gabe Vincent giving Marcus Smart 17. And, yes, I'm saying Gabe Vincent, the undrafted player, Gabe Vincent, giving Marcus Smart the number – what was it, number two overall pick in his draft, Marcus Smart? Uh, top 10. I, I, I'm not, I think it was like the five area, something like that. But, yeah. yeah top, top 10 pick coming out of Oklahoma State. Number one, number one in his class. Yeah, last year's defense play. I mean, so you got Gabe Vincent giving you the work if you're Marcus Smart, and you got to do something there too. I don't. I don't think the I don't think the Celtics are going to pull it off more than once. Um, I've been proven wrong by Boston sports teams before, though. 
uh, looking at you, Red Sox in 04. But you know what? At this, I I just don't see it. I like even in this when it didn't feel like it was really comfortable, even though it was a 14 point win, it didn't feel like they were really pushing the pushing the tempo. They didn't feel like they were still playing like the Celtics we had seen all season. I'd say they obviously have a chance, a small one. I think they could still win game five. I think that'll, and then everyone back, like, oh, it's getting interesting. And then I think Miami in game six will take it. So I'm going to say Miami takes game five, but I think it's going to be close. I think that, I think the Celtics could very easily win game five, but coming back and winning four in a row, that's, I don't know if this is the team to do that necessarily. I could be wrong. They obviously play their best when their backs are up against the wall the last couple of years. They wait till they're down three, two, every big series, and they go on a run. Or they're up 3-1 and they make sure to lose that fifth game to force a sixth game looking at the Hawks series. So I guess anything is possible. But, well, I I can't see it either. And all it takes is the Heat to get hot one more time like they did in game three. And you can't overcome that even when your Batman and Superman give you everything that they can. So it's, it's going to be tough. I'm not saying it's impossible. Jalen Brown did come alive a little bit in that second half of game four. So if he can, you know, take that to that next Jalen Brown second team all-NBA level and keep that going the rest of the way makes things a lot more difficult so we'll uh we'll keep an eye on it but i'm kind of with you i'm gonna stick with i'm gonna say the heat are gonna take this one i'm gonna give them in six because it wouldn't be the heat way to wrap it up in five they have to make it as difficult as possible before the finals and before we round out this first this first segment we do have to mention a recent retirement coming out to one of our favorite players growing up carmelo anthony also known as mellow stay mellow the pride of syracuse himself bringing them their one national title hoodie in his mellow hoodie mellow every mellow you could think of announcing his official retirement today after 19 years and whatever the only word that comes to mind if we had to give like carmelo one word to describe him for me that word's bucket always just found a way to get a bucket whether the mid-range the dunking on people that you least expected on timely three-pointers post game was absolutely ridiculous especially for not a true big man everyone who ever guarded him said he was a hard guard even though his game looked so simple but it was always so effective so Carmelo will always be remembered for me as one of the better scorers we've ever seen. The only downside is Kevin Durant came out during his heyday and was a little smoother looking and a little more explosive. But I think people forget Carmelo was like KD before KD was. He was very he was that dude who was just a walking bucket for a few quite a few years there. Yeah, I mean I don't know if I can come up with one word because I do want to I like everything I'm coming up with is two words. There's there's no way <laughs> around it. I'm gonna say historically underrated. That'll be Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, we talk about a guy who's won three gold medals, scoring champions, rookie of the year. Should have had yet, rookie of the year. No, he won rookie of the year over LeBron. Did he? I thought they gave it to LeBron. Yeah, I, I want to say I, I'm pretty sure he won rookie of the year over LeBron. And because I want to say he, they did a commercial about it where he's showing off his rookie of the year trophy. And LeBron's like, oh, hey, I'm LeBron. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But... <laughs> I still say historically underrated. One of the better shooters of all time. I mean, you talked about his mid-range game. That turnaround post move was absolutely dirty. He'll break you down with the three points, you know, from the triple threat. And you don't know what he's going to do. That baseline spin move to get to the bucket, one of the dirtiest moves I've ever watched in the history of the game. Should be its own 2K move in really in reality, but it doesn't. They, they, 2K doesn't give the love to mid-range shooters. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to say Carmelo historically underrated. Uh, also, Nuggets fans, get off his back, man. Dude didn't, <laughs> dude didn't deserve what he what he got when he when he returned back to Denver. Not at all. But honestly, Jokic just shouldn't be wearing number fifteen because it should be be considering to be retired for Carmelo. But unfortunately, they're both kind of all time players, so fifteen is going to be retired one way or the other in Denver. Whether you want to give it to Melo, give it to Jokic, or give it a split down the middle at this point. So once surefire Hall of Famer at one point, he will be soon. So definitely. Sad to see Carmelo. Also, you're, you're, you're right. All rookie player, but not rookie of the year. He should have won rookie of the year. I think because he even took his team to the playoffs and everyone thought it should have been him, but Le- LeBron's LeBron. And you can't really go wrong picking LeBron at the same time. So six in one end, half a dozen in the other. But once that's the car- kind of uh, company that we have Carmelo in, and most people do as well. So definitely going to keep, definitely uh, looking forward to his Hall of, Fa- Hall of Fame induction. And by the way, three gold medals. So a pretty. Hefty three Olympic, Olympic gold medals. Yeah, three Olympic gold you medals. Because he also had the America's Championship where he won gold, but then he also has two bronze in the World Championship and in the Athens Olympic Games too. So you're talking about a six-time medalist, four-time Olympic medalist. Like, pretty impressive stats. And let's not forget, he was the guy that created the Redeem Team, if you will. He was the guy that put the glue in the Redeem Team. Because the Redeem Team, he was the guy on the team 
before the redeemed dinner. And he also was the all-time leading scorer on Olympic play until Kevin Durant just recently broke that as well, too. So he's a very, a very, very impressive basketball resume overall as well, too. It's as long as you're not blinded by NBA championships, you'll grow to appreciate what Carmel was able to pull off. But that's good. Before we wrap off the tip-off, one last thing we'll touch on really quick. Rumor comes out LeBron considering retirement, so we'll keep this quick and easy because if you want to talk about LeBron everywhere else and their mom's talking about it, you can check in with them, but we'll keep it quick. Do you think he retires this offseason, yes or no? No. He'll be the last last of the banana votes to retire. i say he's got at least one more year, maybe two, even if it's not quite at LeBron level. See, at least Father Time's undefeated, but that doesn't mean he won't keep fighting back. So give him at least one more year, I think. Yeah, no. Look, I mean, he, if, if nobody knows what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the banana boat in the Bahamas. On that boat, we had Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, LeBron, and there was one other player that I can't think of who it was. But I think it was just those four. Was it just those four? So yeah. one remaining right, right, right before LeBron, that's Chris Paul. Chris Paul, we'll see when he retires. But LeBron doesn't retire first. Let's just put it that yeah. way. LeBron will be the last of that of that banana boat crew to retire. Absolutely. So, And you know what? One more. I, out of these, I don't want to go out on a sweep, too. So I think he's got one more year in him. But. That'll definitely do it for the tip-off and this NBA playoff update. But we got a little bit more basketball coming your way as we head over to the main event, the main of court event, of course, one of Kelsey's favorite subjects. And we're going to go with yeah. one of our favorite things. We're going with rankings today. And there's been a lot of NBA playoff performances. You remember a couple of weeks ago we did the best NBA playoff players. Well, we're going to talk about moments that we call them I'm him moments in NBA playoff history where Outstanding performance, something that you that remembers, whether it's the circumstances, the competition, the stat line, a little bit of everything. These are five of the best NBA playoff performances in history. We're going to work our way up from five to one. We'll go back and forth each. Kelsey, I'll go ahead and tip us off with my number five. I'm going to go with probably the most recent one on both of our lists. I don't know yours off the top of my head, but you know what? We're going to, I think that if the, yours is more recent than this, I will be surprised. We're going with just a couple of years ago. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 2021 NBA Finals, Game 6. We all remember the closeout game. This alone, with him getting a 50-piece chicken nugget from, Chick, from Chick-fil-A alone, gets him on this list. But then we look at what he pulled oh. off in the game now. 50-14 with five blocks after being down 0-2, that ridiculous knee injury that we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals where his knee is supposed to be like this, and it went like that. Knees are not supposed to do that. Came back and went on to have an incredible series, capping off with his 50 and 14 and five blocks. And I want to also mention 17 of 19 from the free throw line, 90% for a guy. They were hack a Giannis thing for a what for one point. There is not that they were. He's getting well. Don't forget he had that shoulder injury too. Exactly, like he was beat up, and he still absolutely cooked the team with the best record in basketball. They tried to hack him. They tried to hack a shack him. It wasn't just like getting phantom calls because he drove or any, not anything ridiculous like some people like to complain with that many free throws. They were intentionally fouling him, hoping to get him out of his rhythm. There was the counting down the 10, 9, 8, 7 from the fans. I remember the one Suns fan was literally throwing money in the air for some reason at one point during that. And you still and you went 17 of 19 and closed out the series with a 50-piece. So as far as just when you think of all those circumstances, he beat you at his weakness. While being basically, while being hounded at the same time, so give me a give me a fifty piece for Game Six, and with he had a lot of pressure on back to back MVP, had come up really small multiple times, and everything they went through that finals, they said he shouldn't even been there if it wasn't for Kevin Durant having a size eighteen and a half shoe. If it was a size seventeen, they might not even be there. Was the narrative the whole way? So give me Giannis in Game Five of the twenty twenty NBA Finals as a I'm him for performance, probably the most recent one too. Yeah, definitely the most recent on my. Uh, I, I don't have anything. Uh, that that more that recent. Um, I, I thought about putting something that recent. I'll shout out uh, an honorable mention here from Steph Curry's round one performance, Game Seven, round one this year against the Kings. Um, yes, my beloved Kings. I am. Hmm. Uh, trust me, it's going to hurt me later on in this list too. Hmm. So, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get started with what is my ro- most recent of my list, uh, ironically enough, and that is 07. I'm looking at Game Five, and I'm looking at LeBron James. That Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons, you just gave me a 50-burger here for, for, for Giannis. What about 48? And not just 48. <laughs> what about 25 of consecutive points and 29 of the last 30 points of regulation, first overtime, and second overtime he scored for his team? The last Cavalier in this game to score was the Drew Nisogowskis, Big Z, at the 7.48 mark in the fourth quarter. And this game went to double overtime, and LeBron scored the rest of the points. And they beat the Pistons 109-107. Uh, 
in what was one of the crazy. If you guys don't remember this years eras, if maybe you're too young or what whatnot, this is the Pistons era. This was the Pistons, not the bad boy Piston era. This is the Rashid. This is the Ben, the Ben, the Chauncey Billups, big shot Chauncey, big shot Billups. You had Rip Hamilton with a mask. This was their team. This was their years. And LeBron's like, no, nah, no more of this. This was his overcoming the Pistons moment. This was his MJ overcoming the Pistons moment. This is where he shut him down. Game five, he went on to win. They went on to win the series. Gets LeBron's first trip to the finals after this, afterwards. But you got to, I mean, look, anytime anybody goes clutch, 25 consecutive points, 29 of the last 30. Uh, you, you're talking about two game tying buckets and then a game winning bucket all in the same game. The man has three highlight game winners, basically what would be game winners or a highlight shot on a highlight reel in one game. I mean, it's absolutely insane to think about. That entire playoff run from LeBron really should be something to be to, to, to talk about because he was so young, 22 years old at the time. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. But, yeah, I'm going to go. That's going to be my, 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 my number five here is LeBron, game five of the 07 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pistons. Those Pistons teams went to five Eastern Conference Finals in a row, too, including an NBA Finals dub and an NBA Finals loss. So, like, that was a yeah. that was a quality team that ironically just lost to his his boy Dwayne Wade just the year before in the Eastern Conference Finals, too. So, it was, yeah. that's an outstanding performance, as you'd say. Defensive Player of the Year, all-time defender Ben Wallace, and Tayshawn Prince, too, a very, very crafty oh, yeah. defender in his day as well. So, a very, very underratedly good team and an incredible performance in a and, and true one. By the way. With yeah, I was gonna say one one man show because by the way, his starting lineup includes a guy by the name of Drew Gooden and Larry Hughes, uh, and oh by the way, uh, Pavlovich is was the number was the two guard, and then I, was, I just mentioned Big Z earlier, but Big Z being the fifth to round it out. Like the, who 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 in who in today's day and game today's game is good enough to bring their team to the finals with that starting five? I can't think of anybody. Don't forget, don't forget game six is Cleveland legend Daniel Booby Gibson too off the bench nonetheless with his random five threes in game six. But like that's the yeah. company you're with. And that was an inc- one of the best performances and probably the first LeBron performance was like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be different. He's only 22 when he's doing the, oh boy, here we go, everybody. Strap up. Definitely, definitely deserves a spot here. I'm going to go down to number four. You talk, you talk LeBron, so I'm going to have to throw in a Jordan game here because that's just the way things happen to fly here. We're, but we're not going to go with any. We're going to go with one of his first three peats. We're going to go with 1992, and I'm just going to summarize it with a simple little shrug, little, just a little shrug, because that's the one we're going to go with the shrug game. Game one of the 1992 NBA Finals. 39-11 assists. 11 assists, by the way, for Jordan the ball hog. And also go along with three, six first-half threes and that shrug of what do you expect? A miserable three-point shooter at the time, especially because no one really shot them like that unless you were a spot-up shooter. 27-ish percent or something like that in the playoffs, I think he was from three. Casu- they were talking about Clyde Drexler might actually be the heir apparent or as good as Jordan. They were talking about 1A, 1B. Well, he shut that down pretty quickly. Right away to start the finals, dropping 39 with 31 in the first half, six threes. By the way, holding Clyde under 20 points on top of that as well. Just an absolutely incredible performance. Beating Once again, beating him with the weaknesses against the guy who's supposed to be the next you, if you will, or someone who might be as good as you. They were saying they might, he might even have a chance of first-team All-NBA. He flies higher than you at Clyde the Glide Drexler, like all these different narratives and superlatives around it. And he comes out and beats you by sniping it from three and dishing out 11 assists, something that's, I think it's fair to say, not his game necessarily. He's not always he's not first known as an assist and pass man, so... Absolutely. We're going to go with Jordan number four with his 1992 finals game. Kicking off would be the second of his NBA finals dubs. I, you know what? That's impressive. Um, that is impressive. I, you know, I, I love I love the MJ callouts, but I'm going to go to another guy that could be considered a, an all-time great. Uh, maybe maybe the uh, top five in some people's book. Um, he played with a guy, by the way, that could be top three. It depends, <laughs> uh, depends on where you rank him. And that is Shaquille O'Neal. And I'm going with the one that probably breaks my heart the most mm. here, and that is Shaq's 44 and 20. Uh, just a little history on this: this is one of eight 40, 40 point 20 rebound games in the history of the playoffs. Shaq owns four of them. <laughs> he had two in this series. So uh, game I'm going game one, 2001. This is second round versus the Kings. 44 points, 21 rebounds, seven blocks. Like Lakers on this this title run, this is this is more of a ca- encapsulating what the Lakers were right now in this time frame, because this Lakers team only lost one game in route to the title. 
one game. An entire playoffs run where they only lose one game. Absolutely insane. Maybe one of the most historic playoff runs we've ever seen. And you talk about some of the performances we saw, but Shaq's 44 and 20. It's hard to, hard to not give this to a man that, like, look, we all know Big Diesel. We all know Super Shaq, whatever you want to call him, like mall cop galore, I, legitimate police officer, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal. I, 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 you know what? 44 and 20 is not easy, especially against the team he's going against. Chris Webber, Vladdy Divock at that time. I like it was impressive. Seven blocks on top of it, absolutely shut down the Kings and set the tone for that series versus the Kings, who had been really the Lakers' pain. Uh, they between those two teams, they fought year after year from '98 until 2003. So it's it's you know one of those situations where uh, you got it, you got to do it, and you got to do it against your biggest rival. And there was Shaq setting the tone for one of the greatest greatest runs of all time we've ever seen for, for the Lakers. So give me Shaquille O'Neal, 44-21-7, and, and that's game one of the 2001 round two versus the Kings. Arguably the best playoff t- team of all time with their with their run you mentioned. They didn't lose a game until game one of the finals and then swept everything after that, and gentlemen swept that one. I think the closest was 2017 Warriors where they lost one game in the finals as well, if I'm not mistaken, something like that as well. It's an incredible run, and of course – Shaq, those three year about that three ish year run with the Lakers, maybe four if you go back like ninety eight to two thousand two, probably the, one of the most dominant forces we've ever seen. Absolutely incredible. And as you mentioned, unfortunately, the Kings had to get the wrath of an arguably his best playoff performance of them all in that particular game too. Single handedly between him and Kobe have shut down any hope of the Kings ever having a title in Sacramento uh, at the time. Like that's that is what Shaq and 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 Kobe did during their time. If nobody remembers their greatness. Absolutely, absolutely incredible game by by Shaq as well too. And as you mentioned, only eight of those type of games in history, and he's has half of them. He has a monopoly on them too. So definitely another one very worthy on this list too. I'm glad you said a Laker because we're gonna stick with the Lakers for this next one. And number three, I'm going way back before both of us were born. If you combine both of our ages, it was before that as well too. It's a long time coming as well. We're going with Elgin Baylor from the 1962 Finals Game Five. It's tied up two games apiece, and you. Against the Dynasty Celtics, the Bill Russell, Sam, the Sam Jones, all of those players, like those nine Hall of Famers that they have on that team, this is the pretty much the one good team. And during that era, as well, too, I know there's talk about Wilt beating up Milkmen and that sort of thing. These were the only two teams that didn't quite meet that category. And Elgin Baylor gave you a a Finals record: sixty-one points and twenty-two rebounds against that Bill Russell against Sam. Sam Jones, Pavlo, John Pavlovich, that you go on the list. He he gave you 62, 61 in a pivotal game five, where normally if it's tied 2-2, you win game five, you win the whole thing. Unfortunately for the Lakers, it is those Celtics, so they came back to win the next two. But my goodness, 61 points, still a finals record, by the way, too. I think it, I don't even think it's gotten that close. I think we've seen a couple of low 50s, but no one's really threatened 61 in the finals yet, and it continues to hold to this day. 46 field goals, 20-something for Free throws, just absolutely ridiculous game from Elgin Baylor. A very underrated historic player because he's wasn't quite the logo Jerry West and didn't have his freakishness as Wilt Chamberlain and didn't have those Celtics dynasty run. But an incredible player and an absolutely incredible game that still somehow has withstood the t- the test of times, which we'll probably see someone pass this in the in the final soon, especially with how threes are shot. But good good luck. That's a that's a tough t- feat to att- to accomplish these days. So we'll go Elgin Baylor at number three. I respect it. Um, you know, I'm going to go, this is going to be kind of historic, I guess. Uh, before one of our times, I was I was two years old at the time of this one. And that is Charles Barkley's 40-point triple-double. There has been a handful of 40-point triple-doubles in the history of the playoffs. Very few. Uh, by the way, Barkley also one of the one of the other people with a 40-20 game. This is not one of them. But it is worth mentioning because it was in this series uh, that he got it. And that is against the Sonics in the 93 Western Conference Final. This is Game 5. 43 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, by the way, just did it against a guy by the name of Sean Kemp. Uh, anybody know who that is? And By the way, against a team who gave up the least amount of rebounds to opposing teams, they had the highest, rate of turno- highest turnover rate in the Sonics and the fifth most points scored. And yet, here you are, the round mound of rebound here in Phoenix, absolutely just dominating absolutely dominating the sonics he had 43 15 and 10 in this game in game five went on in game seven to clinch it with a 44.24 rebound situation if it wasn't for the fact he has a triple double here 
I, it would have been the 44-24 that I give the round mound rebound the number three spot on this list. But I got I got a little love for, for Charles in my in my list. And ironically, I go Shaq and Charles back-to-back here. Uh, you know, a guy that with a bunch of titles and then a guy who has no titles and is not a role model um, back-to-back. So go figure out how, how it works out there. Uh, but, yeah, look, Barkley, yeah, if you know, you know it with Charles Barkley. It's one of those situations historically underrated is Charles Barkley's biggest tag. Yeah, I mean – fantastic player in his time undersized and doing it with the big boys i'm glad you mentioned historically underrated because charles barkley the tv personnel has taken on a larger than life persona than anyone could have imagined i think it's almost overtaken how good he was as a player that they forget how damn good of a player he was like he was six foot eight six foot seven ish playing power forward back in that day and banging with seven footers eight seven footers six ten guys and in an era where it was banging in the paint not yeah like like there's elbows being thrown to the face regularly Exactly. It's not like what Draymond could get away with now where he's very sound defensively and able to kind of play against the light. Yeah. He was fighting Shaquille O'Neal and Hakeem Olajuwon and those guys down low while running the paint, able to give you those 10 assists, regularly getting you around four or five and getting you that 15 rebounds as well, too. Like he was, he's like what Draymond is now, but cranked up to 14 and given an offensive game. It was a, it was absolutely, he was absolutely incredible. People forget just how good the round mound of rebound actually was. He wasn't just round and he wasn't just getting rebounds. He was actually, there's a reason he's a first battle hall fame player. Still kind of wish he could have got a ring at some point just because he did more than his part to earn it. It's just what you, what he ran up against kind of got in the way a little bit here and there. There's only so much you could do at that point. Yeah, no, unfortunately it is one of those situations. Uh, By the way, also on that, uh, that, that Sonics team, Gary Payton and uh, a guy by the name of Nate McMillan. If you know, now one of the high quality head coaches. A team that would make the NBA Finals just a few, a handful of years later as well, too. So a very, very good squad to be doing that up against, nonetheless, leading to his NBA Finals appearance with the Suns as well, too, come, not too long after that. So a very quality list, quality guy there, number three. Number two, I'm going to go with a guy who in this particular game would, could have been considered a little undersized as well, but not normally, just in this one particular game because he's playing out of position. We're going with the big old smile himself, rookie Magic Johnson, 1980s finals game six against the 76ers being asked to play center because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with his ankle injury needed someone to play center. You're up three, two. This is a chance to close it out. They put magic in at center, not point guard, but at center because lengthy six, nine. So a good size, but still not a true center size. He casually goes in there and gives you 42, 15 and seven. Not just that he did that as a rookie in the NBA finals. We talked about what young LeBron did to those Pistons team. This was a 19-year-old Magic Johnson, a 20-year-old Magic Johnson in the finals playing out of position and gave and he finished the game off with that classic sky hook that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made famous. This was this was such BS because they can't write it in a movie and he did it in real life. And Magic Johnson's whole professional life has been a movie and this was just the very first part of it as well too. An absolutely sensational performance from the young man. It was just a prelude to some of the absolutely incredible feats he's going to pull off in basketball so very few things can compete with this one for me the fact that it's number two i almost talked myself out of putting in number two I, i'm sitting here questioning what what is number one on your list and i'm sitting here looking at my list and i'm like man if only i had picked this as my number one pick i wouldn't have to worry about the rest of my list but no i i obviously i didn't i left that one on the list because we're trying to we're, we're, we're picking we basically draft picked these these <laughs> uh, you know we saw what, what each other had and we, we went the opposite way so I am still shocked this is number two on your list. Um, number one, man, but it better be good because that's number one's got some. Ooh. Number one's got a little extra spice to it. I think. I think you and everyone else will see why it's got a little bit of extra steam to it. But number two, absolutely, there is nothing negative to say about this performance. Not like a well, it would be one for this or what? No, this is more of how good number one is. There is no negatives to say about number two for me. That's fair. Well, speaking of nothing negative to say about this, well, this in this case, this individual, my number two is. The big fundamental, Tim Duncan, in what is the most least I'm him player ever <laughs> in Tim Duncan, uh, and, and one of the least watched NBA Finals series of all time, second lowest of all time, by the way, Tim Duncan posted an almost quadruple double. And what do you mean? What do I mean by almost quadruple double? I mean four stat lines with double digits. Almost had it. Closest, closest of all time in the history of, of the game. This is in game six of the 03 Finals against Dikembe Mutombo and Jason Collins of the New Jersey Nets at the time. Now, if you know, you know. Dikembe, obviously, at the tail end of his career, 
Still Dikembe, though. Could still block everything. Jason Collins was an absolute force, a big body. You talk about banging down all in the paint. Jason Collins was one of the guys that would sit there and just beat up people in the in the paint. But that's okay, because Tim Duncan, he gave you 21, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 8 blocks. Two blocks shy. Against the all-time block leader, two blocks shy. That, of that's a, a quadruple double. Now, you wanted to make this even crazier in this in this game in this series? Tim Duncan earlier in this series almost posted a five by five, which is five stat lines of five five or more uh stats or five or more accomplishments in each stat line. So uh, the dude's almost set history twice. And again, we're talking about a guy that is the definition of not being an I'm him guy. And I'm putting him at number two on this list. And it, it's because most people forget about it. Most people don't think about this series. And again, yeah, it was sure. It was back into Dikembe Mutombo's career. Who cares? It's the greatest man, great, one of the greatest big men of all time he's doing this against. And Jason Collins, who, again, you, if you watch basketball in this era, you know all about this team. And by the way, he's going up with Stefan Marbury and this New Jersey Nets team. That's not an easy ask. Like, that's a tough, that's a tough one from top to bottom, so... I mean, I'm going to give it to Duncan here, number two. I'm probably going to catch flack for it because there's probably people out there like, oh, why not LeBron? Why not this? Why not that? And it's because I respect quality players. They don't have to be I'm him players to have an I'm him moment. But that does not tell me, that does not tell you who my number one is. I'll just say that. There's a lot of angles to look at this one. Holy cow, he had a 20, 20, he had 20 rebounds in a game. That's incredible. <laughs> Holy cow, he had a 20-20 game. That's incredible. Wow, a fundamental power forward at 10, 10 assists and an underrated passer as a big man all time as well, too. That's incredible. Wow, he almost had eight, he had eight blocks in him, almost double digit blocks in him. That's incredible. Holy butt, you put all of those together. And that's what he pulled off as well, too. Yeah. The worst thing that happened to Tim Duncan's career was he played directly alongside Kobe Bryant, who was had a little more box office as well, too. They had very, very similar final career, I guess, when you wrap it all up and put a bow on it. They both top 10 players, six and one and a half a dozen the other. Kobe was in LA a little more box office. His play style was a little more elegant, a little more pretty. And in being in LA on top of that as well. Tim Duncan, quiet, sat in San Antonio, bought his jeans at Old Navy, and that's the only time you ever saw anything about him, really. Two top 10 players playing at the same time. And people forget Tim Duncan, especially early years, Tim Duncan. He played with David Robinson, and people forget that David Robinson was on the team with what Tim Duncan was pulling off at times. He was absolutely sensational in the most boring but effective way possible and this is kind of the culmination of all, all that in one single game yeah the most boring and, and and efficient player of all time probably in tim duncan and he just happens to do it in the most or the the second least watched nba finals of all time they i don't know if there's a more fitting tim duncan <laughs> statistic in in the history of of the nba there it's like yeah the most boring player arguably did it in the least watched series of all time. Like, what? How does that happen? So, yeah, give me Tim Duncan here at number two with his almost, almost quadruple double. It's perfect that we are going from arguably the least boring and least watched thing to arguably the most interesting and most watched athlete of all time. From the time that he was 18, 17, 16, 16. since the time he was, since the time he was a wee lad and barely even had his driver's license. We're going to go with a LeBron James game here at number one, but not just any game. When I think of it, this I consider this the game. You mentioned his Pistons game. Hell of a performance. Obviously deserves to be on this list. That was probably his first I'm him type of moment. This one, I'm going to the himmiest of hymns of all hymns, the himothy moment. We're going with game six of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics. We're unpacking a lot here because we're going to start with the stat line here. 45, 15, and 5 on 73% shooting. Absolutely stupid. Nobody, the next highest score on the team was Dwayne Wade with, I think it was 16 or 17 points. They won the game in a route too. So it's not like it, it was absolutely, he single-handedly ran that Celtics team basically out of the building in that game in Boston garden. Nonetheless, he single-handedly won that one. He held Paul Pierce to nine points and we know how good Paul Pierce can be, was, especially at that time as well, too. A little bit older, obviously, but he still had many good years left in him after that, including multiple playoff game winners with the wizards. But, Held Paul Pierce to nine points, 73% from the field, step backs, three-pointers, dunks, everything on top of it. But then you throw in the magnitude. This is before his first championship. This was the Heat, the Miami Heat big three era where every single eye in the world was locked in on him. The amount of pressure like, is kind of the start of the social media age, plus the TV age was still there. And 
the LeBron James hype train is completely unmatched. They talked about Victor Wembanyama and the hype train he's getting right now. I think they forget about uh, LeBron James from back in the day too, before you had Twitter and easy access to it. Like that was a, every, all eyes were on him and this was before any championship. So he didn't have quite the cachet to cash in on either. Look, you, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what car Wembanyama drives. I knew what car LeBron drove. Let's just, let's just put it that way. I, that's, I knew what shoes LeBron wore. I'm talking I knew that he brought his PS2 to, a, PS2 to a damn hotel room once because they took so many pictures of him and posted him. Like, dude, we knew everything about it. There were so many eyes on him. Everything. There's so much pressure going in this game. Didn't bat an eye against your arch nemesis and it, a team full of all-time greats, four Hall of Famers on that on that team with the big three plus Rajon Rondo. Still had Kendrick Perkins and, a, and some other quality rotational pieces too. This was an all-time great team that kind of gets – they won a title. People forget about that. They won nearly 70 games. They went to multiple Eastern Conference finals, multiple finals, almost beat Kobe and the Lakers in his second finals. They get, it was it took basically the worst offensive game seven ever between both teams, and the Lakers edged them out. And LeBron and pulled off this performance with all that pressure on top of it as well, too. So I'm going to go with LeBron at number one because stat line's incredible, but the magnitude of that game on top of it as well, too. Miami Heat LeBron with the headband was something different. I think this was kind of his culmination point in that game one, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. Then went on to have some great finals, don't get me wrong, but this one was the ultimate I'm him, get out of the way moment. For LeBron, maybe, but not all time. I, I will say I, I absolutely love the, the LeBron uh, you being your number one. I still, I, I'm still sort of torn about your Magic Johnson at center part, but I will say that, that, that performance by LeBron against the Celtics, it was absolutely – just unheard of. I mean, it's it it was all. It's so it's such a great moment that you think about it. Do you even remember the finals that year? I mean, obviously you do, but I'm not. I'm not talking at you. You're you know robot here. But like in a general sense of things, like how do most people even remember that NBA finals? And I say no. I say most people don't even remember those NBA finals. They don't even remember what happened after this game six. They just remember LeBron in game six against the Celtics. And that's the important thing here. And then that, that's that's historic. But I'm going to raise you one just like you did earlier. You went LeBron. Uh, you went MJ after LeBron on me. Well, I'm going to go MJ after LeBron on you and literally raise you the most iconic on-court image of all time. And that is Michael Jordan collapsing into Scottie Pippen's arm after hitting the game-winning shot in the all-time greatest game, the flu game. This has its own title. The flu game. If you guys don't know, it's talking game five. Game, but just, just saying the hangover game, but fair enough. Game five <laughs> of the 97 NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. MJ with a flu, given flu is in an IV all the way up until game time, walks on the court wearing his 14s, black and red 14s. Let's not forget black and red 14s. is what he started the game in. Switched them to the 12s halfway through the first quarter. And the rest was history. Uh, now there is a flu game pair of shoes. And that's not even to talk about the, what happened in the game. The man scores 38 points, gives you seven rebounds, five assists, all with a flu. As I said, hitting the game-winning shot here with two seconds to go. Didn't give the, the Jazz a, a single chance here to, to pull us off. But you got to say, looking at the man on the sideline, every single cut to him, have you ever seen somebody dying so much on the side of, a, on the, side of the court? Where they just like couldn't breathe, couldn't barely see, covering the, covering his face constantly, constantly taking in fluids, pouring water over his head. I mean, he looked like he was running a decathlon straight <laughs> through this game. Like, I, it is absolutely insane to think about the just monumental effort that it took to do this, and from the greatest competitor in route to his second three peat. Let's not forget that as well. And this was one of the greatest series, I think. MJ ever played in his career. I think this is one of his greatest series against the Jazz because of what he was able to do here in Game 5, but really this entire series back and forth. You're talking about what he was able to do, shut out Carl Malone and John Stockton, that dynamic duo. The big question was, how is it, how, are they, how is Pippen and, and Jordan going to do it? The answer is Michael freaking Jordan guarding Carl Malone. Who would have thought that's ever the answer from anybody? With the flu, this man is shutting down Carl Malone, stealing the ball away from him there, there in Game 5 as well that set up that game-winning shot. So, look, this is, you look at it, top to bottom, most iconic on-court image of all time is, is MJ collapsing, collapsing into Pippen's arms. 
getting carried off by Pippen. And obviously that wasn't the end of the, the the series. There was still more games to be played, one more game to be played to, to be exact, but doesn't matter at the end of the day. MJ's flu game is what will forever be the most hymiest of hymns, the hymothy of all hymothies. I'm running out of him puns at this point in time, but that is the biggest I'm him moment I could think of in the NBA playoffs. How many pairs of those flu game 12s have you owned in your life? Two. Okay, I thought it'd be seven that for I, sure. I've kept. Okay, there we go. Uh, there's there's the key to it. <laughs> yeah, no, two that I kept until they fell apart. Um, That's fair. But yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Look, uh, I, I got a chance. I was living in Utah at the time, and uh, I got a chance to see this and see the aftermath of the flu game in Utah after that. And I've never seen a fan base so dejected. Now, mind you, growing up a Kings fan, seeing Jazz fans dejected was the greatest moment of my life. Hmm. Uh, but to see how they got this dejected, well, let's just say it set up my future as a Kings fan pretty well. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was tough to watch from if you're not a, if you weren't a Bulls fan, but if you're just a sports fan and you could watch things from a central point of view, I mean, this is you. Every athlete grows up to have to hope they can have their own version of the flu game. I feel like like that's the dream. Every athlete wants to ha- every athlete has, wants to have that one moment where they're like. I did the unthinkable when there was no chance in hell I could ever do it. And Michael Jordan did it. And that's the one thing I, could, I think that we can all say about this moment compared to a lot of other players is at the end of the day, when the most unthinkable is happening, I don't know if there's a better player out there to try to take it, take advantage of it than Michael Jordan because he was the one guy that could do it. So maybe I just turned that into a LeBron versus MJ commentary. I don't know. I didn't mean to. I mean this in the hymnist of all hymns moment, though, that MJ has the hymnist of all hymns. I'm him moment, and that's the flu game, period. Best part is both of these games, they came out with a meme and an iconic moment of MJ dying in Scotty's arms and then LeBron's stare of death while looking up, while crouched over as well, too. They both came out with their own special memes and iconic images that are forever used on social media in any way that you can possible as well, too. So real quickly, we'll go ahead and recap our list. I'll go ahead and start going five to one. Top five I'm him moments NBA playoff history. Number five, Giannis 2021 NBA Finals Game 6. Number four, Michael Jordan, 1992 NBA Finals Game 1. Number three, Elgin Baylor, 1962 Finals Game 5. Number two, Magic Johnson, 1980s Finals Game 6. And number one, LeBron James, Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2012. All right. I still respect it. I'm still – I respect it. I just – I'm still a little torn about that Magic Johnson moment, man. You can't go wrong. Uh, all right, so five to one for me. I got LeBron James in the 2007 Eastern Conference Finals, Game Five, versus the Pistons. Then I have the Shaq in Game One of the 2001 Second Round Matchup versus the Kings, giving you 44 and 20. Barkley with his 40 point triple double versus the Sonics in the 1993 Western Conference Final, Game Five. And then Tim Duncan at number two with in the 2003 Finals in Game Six with an almost quadruple double versus Dikembe Mutombo and Jason Collins' Nets team. And then at number one, it's the all-time iconic Michael Jordan's flu game, 1997, game five of the NBA Finals versus the Utah Jazz. Nothing more to be said. Anyone who checked in with us, let us know down below, too. What do you think of these? Do you think it, which one of us got it right, which one got it wrong? Do you want to shove these lists together and see what comes out of it as well, too? Let us know in the comments section yes. below. There. Or did, which ones did we miss all together? Because there's a lot to choose from, as we Man. wanted to mention I almost forgot to mention the golden rule that we had from the very beginning. In order to get in, you had to win. So yeah. if you didn't win, you couldn't get in. I forgot to mention that from the beginning. But yeah, that was the only yeah, rule. We I, had. I had to leave out. I had to leave out a Stockton twenty-three point twenty-four assist game because of this. I say we had to leave out twenty eighteen LeBron in that one as well too for a game one with his fifty-one points. So to win, you had to get in. You had to win. So this was the, I should have set that criteria from the beginning. I just forgot to mention it. But this is these are our all time our top five. I'm him almost NBA playoff history each. So. That's going to do it for the main event, and that's going to now take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. That's, of course, Crunch Time, brought to you by Outlier. Best smarter, not harder, outlier.bet backslash Sports. Get yourself a free seven-day trial. And, you know, I'm going to keep mine quick because I know you want to go on a little bit of, a little bit of something for yourself. So I'm just going to complain about the NFL because that's the fun thing to do. Everyone likes to do it. They recently voted and approved that Thursday night football will have more compelling games, quote-unquote, because they approved a modified proposal that will allow Thursday night games to be flexed between week 13 and 17. The nice part about this is only two of them are allowed all season and it will, will, will require 28 days notice. So at least it's not a complete farce. 
But the idea of it's just absolutely heinous, even with 28 days notice. Not the, for the players, that's going to suck. Your schedule's already getting flipped on its head. Thursday night's still kind of dumb to have NFL football, in my opinion, but we're not getting rid of this. So uh, that's another complaint for another day. <laughs> You're throwing a Black Friday game in there as well, too. So that's another complaint that we won't get into. You're going to do all this. I'm thinking more about the fans that literally spend their entire year saving up to fly out to that game, to fly the away fans, book the hotel, book the book the book the take the time off work, get the food set up, get the travel accommodations, all of that. You Saturday, Sunday flexing, I don't like it, but it makes a little bit of sense when you have those Saturday night, night games. Normally somebody can accommodate for like a, if you have to stay the extra night at the hotel if you're flying outside or whatever. Like you can accommodate loosely. Thursday to Sunday, it's pretty damn hard to accommodate for two extra days off. Two extra day, two extra days of flights, two extra days of driving, two extra days in a hotel, two extra days of food, whatever the reason may be, the the ability to flex this even with twenty eight days knows that's not a that's not a lot of time for us everyday working humans as well too. This is more of a fan thing that annoys me too, and you can't guarantee it's going to be a good game. It could look compelling as hell on paper, and it could be a dud. The Colts and the Broncos were both projected to be playoff teams with Super Bowl aspirations. Their game was twelve to nine, and that was on Thursday night, and even and that was like week four. So you had no idea that what that was going to happen. And even those later games as well, too. The best Thursday night game was arguably the first one with the Chiefs and the and the Chargers. Or even the ones later in the year, you had no idea what was going. You have no idea what's going to happen. So flexing from Thursday to Sundays and that ability to do that is just dumb. This you're going to flex on thir- someone from Sunday to Thursday, then the Thursday game to Friday. There's, there's no way to do this adequately without screwing people over. And I think it's just dumb that they even have this. We're not going to get into they should take away Thursday night football together. As much as I love watching football multiple times a week, it's a, I won't get into that. This is crunch time, and Kelsey has a lot to get into. The NFL is flexing too damn much. This flexing Thursday night games is stupid. Let the games sit. Just leave them how they are. Just You schedule them for a reason. Let them sit there. I digress. I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> all the above. Just check mark all the above of Thursday, Thursday night, Friday night, Black Friday games shortening the season i i hate it for the fans i mean you're exactly right i think about when we went to a game last year and it's like outside of maybe a cleveland brown game where we're local at at the time like you could obviously get a clo- get a ticket last minute there which i did i did do i did do that i had to go get a ticket there and then i got a ticket to the the uh, guardians game in, the, in a playoff game like i did that last minute but very rarely can you ever get a ticket very that late because they're so expensive one two you got to figure out travel plans i so yes i totally agree and nfl cut this flexing out like three days uh, you could flex it three days four days earlier that's just insane like that is absolutely insane for travel plans and that changes the entire pricing of travel plans too like and the days you can ask oh that's frustrating uh before i run out of time here i'm gonna jump right into my crunch time and that is the mlb comes out every year with the city connect jerseys for the last four years since nike took over well 2023s have all been released except for one that is the pittsburgh pirates but that's okay because it's the pirates we don't really care until they come out with a jersey, because they're probably going to look cool. They're going to be black and gold, probably. Uh, some kind of honor to Roberto Clemente, I imagine. But that just seems to be the Pittsburgh theme, black and gold. So it is what it is. We're not worried about them. We are worried about the five teams that have been released so far. That is Seattle, Texas, Cincinnati, Atlanta, and Baltimore. And I'm going to give them top five. So I'm going to go five to one, starting at number five. It's the Seattle Mariners. Look, I love the throwback, the Seattle Pilots throwback font. I love the old school Mariners tri-fork here, the, the the fork on the hat. But you got to pick one, not both. And I'm not done. Their pants are navy blue. Their jerseys are bright royal blue. The color on the, the belt is mustard yellow. The color on the letters is a bright yellow. It doesn't match. Ladies and gentlemen... From the bottom of my heart, I got to make myself big on this screen before I say this. Please make your color scheme match. Please. That's all I ask. So number four, and I'm going to get back to this in a moment, Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. Love the color on the sleeves. You know the only problem? It's on the inside of the jersey. The entire jersey is black. The lo- the Baltimore is supposed to be sc- uh, supposed to be printed on like it's printed on concrete on the jersey. But the problem is you use the Bowie Bay Sox B. You use the very stylized B. And again, ladies and gentlemen, make it match. That's all I ask. Make it match. Make the font match. Make the colors match. That's that's it. Please. Uh, number three, the Atlanta Braves. 
throwback logo going back to the old Hank Aaron jerseys where it says Atlanta across the chest or Braves across the chest. Had The old logo had the lowercase A, which I think is a much better look here. That's why this is at number three. I also don't like the A. And, like, put it in the lowercase A, maybe it gets to stay there. That's fine. Uh, but, yeah, it is what it is. Number two here. I'm going to – I'm I, I, this one, I'm, I'm torn between number one and two because I like both of them. But I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers here at number two. And the reason why I'm going Texas Rangers, look at this beautiful detail at number two. The X even has a little spur on it like it would be on a pair of boots. How very cool. Uh, very, very cool detail there. No, numbers lettering all matches the color scheme the red in there throws back to the old colt 45s even have a little bit of the red on the belt loop there very interesting little aspect to it as well uh, going with the white belt something teams don't normally do so give me the rangers here at number two number one though cincinnati reds ladies and gentlemen look at these all black uniforms look at how beautiful these things are absolutely gorgeous the outline of the in the red around the cincy the new stylized C that they're using, especially for the City Connect jerseys. Then, really cool detail on there. Look at their belts. Nice little red outline right along the edge of the black belt. Looks absolutely fantastic. All their details on this, mostly bl- mostly black main, main jersey, accents of red. Absolutely beautiful jersey. Black and red, as far as a color scheme goes, pretty well together, as we all know with the Sith Lords and Star Wars. So, if you don't know, you'll never know. Uh, but that'll do it for my crunch time ranking of the City Connect jerseys. Gotta say, the Seattle ones just make me want to hit my head against the wall. Not a big fan of those. And Cincinnati so ones? Like, ugh. Like, uh, ugh. Oh my, oh my. Oh, by the way, so, so, Soto Mojo, you know what that means? Is south of downtown, previously south of the dome. They they can't even come up with the original thing. I'm just going to roll my eyes at that one. I, I, the Cincinnati ones, too. If I didn't know much about baseball and didn't know how the Reds are, I would think that's an intimidating, badass team right there. But because I know better, I know I, I know better. But that's some high-quality uniforms. And honestly, maybe if the First Order looked and acted a little more like them, maybe those sequel trilogies wouldn't have sucked so bad. But that's another They're about, as, another they're about as accurate as the uh, Stormtroopers are, though. Yeah, that's another conversation for another nerdy day as well, too. But we appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening to talk a little bit about everything in the world of sports. If you're checking us on your favorite podcast app, networks, anytime like that as well, too, we appreciate that, too. Feel free to follow us on, on socials. Check it, check us out on Spotify, all of those areas as well, too. Thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you all again next week.